Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. This is episode 19, and today we have a very special episode talking about building buildings and building kingdoms. We've got our special guests, Will and Danny, with us. So let's do this. All right, all right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Yes, we've got two special guests here with us today. Will and Danny. Will and Danny, say hi to our listeners. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hey, yes. This is going to be a really great time together. And it just happens that both these individuals have a very similar background, a similar journey. They have both started off as architects, and now they are both in or heading into full-time ministry. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. All right. But before we jump into that, Danny, you, where's your card? I'm going to do a quick test for both of you Uh-oh. right now. I don't remember my phone number if that's what you're asking. <laughs> it's okay. We don't need that. Without needing to look this up, and I want to see which one of you guys gets this first. What does AIA stand for? Architect. Oh, shoot. I don't remember. Oh, you've been away too long. <laughs> Will's been gone. He's been out of the game. American Institute of Architects. You got it. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. What is LEAD? What L-E-E-D? That is Leadership and Energy Efficiency Design. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. So many cool letters behind the name. Definitely qualified. <laughs> qualified, qualified individual. individual. Yeah. All right. So... Before we jump into questions about architecture and about shifting from architecture into ministry, uh, I want to ask you guys, both of you guys are second generation Asian, at least. And so, you know, Danny, you were in Canada for a long time, and then you moved down to the States. And Will, you're the opposite. You were down in the States, and now you are up in Canada. And we're recording this in Canada. This is the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, after all. And so, uh, what is it like? What is it like to be uh, like a Canadian Asian or an Asian American? What is that like for you guys? Let's just give you a little context. I am, I spent 23 years in Canada Mm. and 23 years in the U.S. So I split 50-50 time. And so I feel like I am uh, qualified to answer this question. (laughs) I feel like there has been similarities, but there's a lot of differences. And the first thing came to mind is this Neil Young song. I don't remember the name of it, but it's one of his periods of lyrics says, I'm proud to be Canadian, but living in the U.S. Oh, okay. And that's exactly who I am, right? <laughs> like, I've never been more proud to be Canadian when I'm living in the U.S. And so, you know... You got to tease that out. You got to tease that out. What does that mean? You know, people ask uh, all the time, where are you from, right? And I can say, oh, I'm from Hong Kong, because I, I was born there, but... I could say I'm from the U.S. because I live there, but I typically say I'm Canadian. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's culturally where you identify with, too. Mm-hmm. I do identify as Canadian. Okay. And how do people normally respond when you say, I'm Canadian, when you're in the U.S.? Uh, they have a little bit of mixed emotions. I feel like some people really gravitate towards that. And other people, uh, you know, make fun of certain things, but your language or, uh, you know, accents. But one thing I do want to say is in the U.S., I think there's a slight imbalance in today's time because what we see in the news is a lot about politics. And it skews towards like what Donald Trump looks like. (laughs) But I can safely say there's a lot of good people in the U.S. who are not at all like Donald Trump. (laughs) And so there's, you know, you got... To take it with a grain of salt, there's a lot of things we see in the news, which is true, and some that's not true. Good to know. Good to know. Will, what's your experience has been? You've been in the States longer and in Canada shorter. So what's, what's it been like for you? Growing up in New York, I grew up uh, in Little Italy, which was surrounded by Chinatown. So I grew up around a lot of Chinese people. So coming to Scarborough and Markham... It's definitely different, but there's also an aspect of it where it's it's very familiar, where it's Chinese people everywhere, Chinese stores and all of that. And I didn't realize this until later on, but ha- growing up 
in a predominantly Chinese neighborhood, it meant that I developed this a, a very strong sense of, of identity mm-hmm. um, and identified with Chinese culture very distinctly. And, and this kind of comes through particularly in in the story when and there's one time my wife Esther she asked we're talking about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle <laughs> and for her this was a very very pivotal movie because for her it's this is the first time she saw an an Asian man in the lead or an Asian man in, in, in the role of hero and, and getting the girl sure, in the end, right? Sure, shout the out good to John Cho. Yeah, shout out to John Cho. John yes, Cho. Who hopefully might listen to this at some point. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but she said, oh, was this, did this movie do the same for you? And I said, no, because growing up, I had plenty of Chinese heroes because I watched all of the Chinese movies and I watched okay. all the Chinese TV shows and from Hong Kong and all of that. So, but but that was kind of the beginning of, of this realization for me that growing up in a predominantly Chinese neighborhood, I, I, I had this bubble. I was kind of growing up in this bubble where if um, people ask me, oh, like, where are you from? I would, a lot of times I would say Chinese, even, mm-hmm. though I was, even though I was born in the United States, even though I was American. And I remember one time a classmate actually corrected me. She she goes, "Well, you're Chinese, but you were born in America. You were born in New York." I'm like, "Yes, I was born in New York." <laughs> and she goes, "But you're American." I'm like, "No, no, I I think I'm Chinese. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're talking about." So so for me that that was my experience. I didn't experience a lot of the the prejudice, racism, discrimination that a lot of Asians do experience um, in the U.S. And then I had to kind of come to terms with realizing that because of the bubble, in a way I was shielded, but also I developed my own kind of racism too. Um, And I had to unpack that as I was removed from that at seminary. um, And also just to to, to kind of think about what were the things that influenced me as I was growing up and influenced some of the the things I was thinking. Mm. Um, And coming up here, um, now living in Scarborough and having lived in Markham and seeing how there perhaps are people here who are growing up in that same bubble where they are surrounded by Chinese people. They are surrounded by Chinese people at school, um, maybe even at work, um, in their neighborhoods. Right, and yeah. I'm wondering if for some of them, um, are they growing up in this same bubble? Are they experiencing some of the same or developing some of the same prejudices and, and things that I did mm. growing up in that bubble. But, That's a really um, interesting thought. Yeah. 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 What, what were some of the kind of prejudices that you felt that you had? I think because I identified with being Chinese so, so strongly that it did become us and them. Okay. So because all of my heroes, a lot of my heroes were Chinese. Sure. With the exception of... James C. Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> they were cool, but I had a lot of heroes, you know, that were who were Chinese. Not Harry Kim? Sulu? No. Come on, what's going on? No, 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 no. Su- <laughs> Sulu was cool, but I mean, he was just kind of there. But, <laughs> mm. <laughs> minor character. Yeah, minor, minor character. <laughs> Supporting role, which is cool, but... He did the um, fencing bit. Well, you know? I mean, so he didn't become cool for me until he became captain of the Excelsior. Oh, That yes. was... And, and actually, I, I still remember... I was watching Star Trek Six. I had a friend over who was not a Star Trek fan, and he sees those scenes where Sulu's in the captain's chair, and he and he goes, "Wow, that's really cool!" Mm. Like here, he's he's this Asian guy, and he's a captain. Yes. And at the time, I didn't even think about that. That that was significant in any way. Yeah. And, but now, as I'm unpacking all of that, that it, it has become a little bit more significant in my mind as well. But um. Yeah, it, it was definitely um, us and them, and in a lot of ways, uh, developed this kind of superiority where mm-hmm. it was um, well. Of course, Chinese people are better. <laughs> look at all look at all the things we quote unquote invented. Okay, right? um, of course, Chinese people can do things well. You know, we work hard. We're good at math. All, all the all the things that kind of feed into this. The, the, the stereotype, I sure, guess, yeah. in terms of, of Chinese people. And, and, and I really took that to heart. I'm like, yeah, we are better. And, and I think because I, I grew up in that bubble, it, it, it just kind of fed that. Sure. Right? 
Yeah. And even as I as I think back, even during those times when there was a, a, a racist comment thrown my way or like a racist joke, um, I would just shake it off because I thought to myself, you don't know what you're talking about because you're dumb. Because okay. you're not Chinese. <laughs> okay. In hindsight, that was me being racist right. in my way. Right. <laughs> so I, I I think that's probably the, the, the main one of the main things, right? I, I, I did identify strongly with with being Chinese, but at the same time it, it, it kind of it, it reinforced this idea of of us and them and it reinforces it reinforced this idea of the other. Sure. Where I saw everyone else as the other. Hmm. Um, which is um, very, very racist sure. you know, attitude. Yeah. Oh, man. That's yeah. a lot to kind of chew on. And I think, <laughs> no, but I think that's not something that is uncommon, too. No, yeah. And I think different generations of Asians have felt that way or experienced it in a certain way. And so how does, you know, how do we kind of see how the gospel even breaks into something like that, into kind of that kind of perspective? All right. So both of you guys are architects. So I want to ask you guys, what made you guys choose to be architects? And what was it like to be an architect? Well, for me, I was thinking back. I wanted to be an architect from a very young age, pre-high school. Pre-high school, you knew it. I knew I wanted to do that. And so I had to think back, what, why did I do that? And really, the, um, the driving factor was I really saw things in the world that I liked and didn't like. And the things I didn't like, I wanted to change. Okay. Right? And so when you're a teenager or before that, in your mind, it's easy to change things, right? <laughs> and so it's a, it's a fantasy world in a, in a way, and you're trying to change things. There was this really silly, uh, you know, motto from this uh, TV show called Heroes. You know, it said something like, uh, save, save the, the cheerleaders, cheerleaders. Yeah. you know, save the world. So I was thinking, back then, I was thinking really naively, I'm going to change the world, right? Change the world. But, you know, later on, I realized that um, architects don't have a lot of power. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're designers. We can't just take a pen and erase buildings and draw <laughs> the new buildings right in the air. It's a little bit of a fantasy world. And as a kid, it was a great idea, right? Sure, yeah. Um, so later, I realized that... Uh, we are all created to be creative, to be designers, mm. because we are all created in God's image. Sure. And I feel like God is more than just a creator. He is the creator, but he's also a designer. Sure. Right? So we're all designed to do good work, but we're also created in God's image. Being image bearers, we ourselves are also partially uh, designers. Mm-hmm. creators. I think that's what really drew me in. And, you know, it goes to everybody. I feel like no matter if you're an architect or not, or designer or not, you appreciate beauty. You appreciate some things that are really well designed, like your coffee mug or, <laughs> you know, your car, right? You don't have to be a designer to appreciate that stuff. Sure. So that's re- what really drew me in. And I think nagging in my heart is that I still want to change the world. <laughs> but uh, without that sort of, uh, we're not all powerful, right? So we can do what we can in terms of influencing our own clients. Sure, yeah. And just kind of say, you know, here's what's good design and here's what's not. And over the years, I discovered that being a designer is an exercise in a vulnerability. Okay, sure. You know, you're just laying it out all there, right? Just like, here's my work. Here's, you know, here are a couple of options, but this is what I recommend. You put it on the wall. Sometimes you get shot down, <laughs> and sometimes you really love it. But it really has to be the right personality, somebody who can just say, all right, here it is. Um, this is my best. This is my, here's what I recommend, and just kind of sit back and see what happens. You know what? As you're sharing your story, I'm even thinking that your desire to see change in the world is something that is also of God, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has created and designed this world mm-hmm. and he has called us to live in a certain way. And when, when us as humans have, have gone against that, 
he desires to redeem and restore and to to change, right? Mm-hmm. To change yeah. change who we are, change the world through that. And so I think that that is a very, you know, gospel. I mean, that's the gospel in itself, right? That, you know, Jesus came to save. Jesus has come to change things, right? Uh, not leave it the way it was. So that is also part of God's heart. I think so too. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I've made my mistakes over the years um, and I'm trying to recorrect some of them. But, you know, mankind, we've kind of warped the world a little bit. Mm. It may not have been exactly the way God wanted the trajectory to go. Sure. And, uh, you know, we're always trying to be humble in terms of being honest about our mistakes. Mistakes is mankind, too. And doing our best to recorrect that when we can. Mm -hmm. All right, Will, what was it like for you? What was it like to be an architect and why did you choose it? So I chose to be an architect because, uh, like a good Chinese son, I chose a profession that would give me a steady paycheck. We're seeing how your yeah. Chinese heritage has <laughs> yeah. like wow. just been just so ingrained. ingrained yeah, yes. yeah. So, so I did have an, uh, an interest in architecture from an early age, you know, playing with Legos and things like that. So it, it's not like it was never on my radar, but I think. Going through high school, um, I really wanted to draw comic books. I really mm, wanted to nice. be a comic book artist. And as I got closer and closer to university, since we're in Canada, as I, as I got closer to, to grade 12, um, I was thinking, you know what? I can't go into comic books because I need to get a paycheck. <laughs> so I decided to get the degree in architecture. Yeah, and, and and it's interesting, Danny, what you said about the the vulnerability. So two things you said: living in a fantasy world, and then the vulnerability. The vulnerability, as you're talking about putting up things and and just sitting back and waiting for the criticism. As you were saying that, I felt it because mm-hmm. I, I, I I kind of flashed back to all those times, especially in school, yeah, where you're standing up there. And all the drawings are pinned up on the wall. You've got your model um, laid out on the floor. You've got four or five professors sitting in front of you, all the classmates behind them, and you're presenting your work. It's nerve-wracking. Yeah. Under scrutiny. Even as I'm talking about it now, I still remember one session where the professor goes, Will, I think you've dropped the ball. <laughs> just like that's exactly uh, what you want to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what I want to hear after months of hard work. Will, I think you've dropped the ball. The uh, other one is, I think this is a missed opportunity. Yeah, missed <laughs> oh, opportunity. Oh man, that bites yep. right to the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or uh, I don't understand what you're trying to do here. Mm. That's another another good one. Definitely, that that vulnerability was 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 a big thing, and I think. As I'm thinking back now, as I'm talking about it, I think that was part of turning me off in terms of what I thought architecture was and, okay. and kind of alluding to what Danny said about the fantasy world, right? You, you think, oh, this is going to be great. And then five years of just continually bashing um, all the things that I did wearing on your wearing soul wearing on my soul I mean which is fine which is fine it, it helped me develop a pretty thick skin but even then after graduating and, and starting work um, yeah it, it the reality was not like the fantasy it was just a lot of grinding it was a lot of talking with contractors about things I really didn't want to talk about like the size of ducks how much <laughs> steel was going to cost like the size of beams you know, sitting there day after day and just, oh, th- is this really what I want to do? Is this really what, what I want to sign up for? And when am I actually going to start, like, doing something that's fun? And it's not to say that um, there weren't times when I did have fun at, at my job, but um, a lot of the times it was, it was why, why am I doing this? And, and as I became a Christian, actually, as an adult, and, and as I kind of got closer and closer to the point where I did decide to go into full-time ministry and leave it all behind, and that, that feeling kind of um, intensified. Like, sure. why, why am I doing this? Like, what is the point, really? Yeah, it, it would have been fine as a job to, to get that paycheck and to make a comfortable living, but at the end of the day, it was, well, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, and, and Danny, I don't know if this, was, this is the same for you, but I think at least 
many of the architects whom I've met, I think there's this thread of, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And <laughs> this kind of sucks. Just just a little bit. Oh, wow. So, well, that's for me. I mean, I'm not <laughs> – and, and I'm not – Saying to all the architects out there, you are stuck in in something that's awful or horrible. Sure, but at least for me, um, that that sense that the reality wasn't what I thought it was. Um, and like you said, the, the freedom to design isn't always there, mm. um, and a lot of times you do feel trapped in minutia and just other things. Sure, um, yeah, just just and like I said, it it, it kind of I think intensified this desire to move to something else move on sure. and which which for me was full-time ministry i was just say that i see a lot of people really hard-working people leave architecture because it's hard mm-hmm. i mean there's a tremendous amount of rigor that is needed but you know sometimes I just feel like if it's not uh if it's too easy it's not worth doing and no. so this stuff is really hard but i i feel like Full-time ministry is not any easier. It's just totally different. Yeah, it, yeah. and no, that's true. Uh, in many ways, it's harder. Yeah. But I think it, it's it's more fulfilling mm. because then it's not me sitting in a cubicle making rich people richer. <laughs> in a way, yeah, it's 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 knowing that I'm doing something or I'm a part of something that's that's more. It's greater than all the things of this world. Sure. Well, let me ask you guys about that a little bit. Being in architecture, how did you feel that you could live out your faith? What did it mean for you to be a Christ follower as an architect in that kind of world where you're talking about rich people getting richer by through building buildings and working with clients and that vulnerability side and working with coworkers and feeling that, oh man, this is not what I thought it was. And even for you, Will, you know, you, what you said was kind of a very, I felt like kind of very first generational Asian mentality where it's like, you know what, like, I'm not going to follow my passion, which is comic books, but I'm going to do something that gives me a paycheck, right? <laughs> and so, right? Or at least, you know, a good no. paycheck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what did it mean to be a Christ follower as an architect, both for you personally, but also for you guys to be his presence in the world. And like, once again, we're not trying to idolize being in full-time ministry as the only way to be serving God, right? Like the world needs godly architects and godly people in the workforce. So, you know, for you guys and for your experiences, what was it like to be in architecture and be an architect and be in that culture, but also try to be a witness and to be someone who participated with what God was doing? So I, I became a Christian kind of halfway through my architecture career, and it, it kind of coincided with me moving to a different firm. So I, I kind of had to learn what it meant to be that presence in, in the workplace. And I think for me, on a very basic level, it meant that just in terms of basic behavior, in terms of office culture, I... I I set myself apart by not doing what everyone else was doing. So in terms of just, you know, crude jokes, cursing during meeting, client meetings. I mean, everyone was doing it. And then I wouldn't. Playing office politics. So a lot of, I mean, I I was part of a medium-sized firm. And surprisingly, there was, at least the first couple of years, there was there was a lot of this, oh, this person did this, oh, this person did that, and all of that. I tried my best to keep myself out of it. And what happened, actually, was my coworkers started to notice. Okay. So, so on the one hand, they said, hey, Will, how come you don't curse? How come you don't you know, tell crude jokes? That's kind of yeah, normal. And, and that, was, that was normal. You know, it was just kind of F-bombs all the time and, and that type of thing, uh, even with the clients. So I was a normal part of the culture. They noticed that I didn't do any of that. And the other part of it was they noticed that I didn't get involved in a lot of the politicking that, that can happen in an office. And so they wondered. They said, you're, you're, you're different. And I remember one coworker actually saying that. Well, you're different. Like, why, what is it about you that's, that you don't participate or you're not a part of, of this, this type of office culture? And I said, well, I, I'm a follower of Christ and um, we're called to behave in a certain way and then this is kind of on a very basic level what's informing 
how how I kind of carry myself in, in the office. Could I have been more bold in terms of sharing my story? Yes, because I, I waited until there was more of an opportunity to share share my story. Uh, because my coworkers were actually they kept asking, "How did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian?" Okay, and wow. I, I remember putting them off several times, saying, "Oh, I'll tell you some other time. It's a long story. I'll tell you some other time. It's a long story." And then finally, uh, it was this office party, and they almost cornered me and they said, "Okay, well." <laughs> like we've got all the time in the world now. Like, why don't you tell us? Like, sure. we, we want to know. But it's amazing that they were receptive to that yeah. and wanted to know. Yeah, it was amazing, and I should have taken advantage of that. They didn't notice I was different, and they really wanted to know. They wanted to to get a glimpse into my life and and what is this thing that's kind of motivating me and forming the the way I behave. That's that's really different from all the other people whom they've met. In terms of how, how, in terms of being a presence at the workplace, I think on a very basic level, it's setting yourself apart, sure, and being distinct, just like how God has called us to be His His nation of priests, right? Um, just setting ourselves apart so that people do notice, and and they say, "Hey, there's something different about you guys. What is that?" And that thing is Christ. Sure. The other part of it is I I found it very hard to, and and this is maybe something. Everyone goes through too in, in whatever field. I found it very hard to kind of sometimes be a follower of Christ and, and carry myself in a way that was with the integrity that Christ has called me to. And what I mean by that is, you know, as we're doing projects, as we're working with different companies and clients, you know, sometimes mistakes are made, things are missed. And the motto was always in both places I worked, motto is always, it's, it's never our fault. <laughs> right it's never our fault um and, and, and i understand that in terms of the, the legal ramifications of, of actually saying yeah we screwed up but i think at least in 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 the the second firm after i had become a christian i i did try very hard to be as open and honest as possible even if it was with my boss and i went into this office and i said you know what i screwed up mm. i dropped the ball on this you can figure out how we as a company might have to do this, but I'm going to be upfront with you right now. Like this is what I did. Wow, that's big too. Yeah, yeah. Because having that humble attitude and being able to own up to something that you might have done might cost the company money, might cost the company reputation. It might cost me my job. Might cost you your job. That's huge. Yeah. In that way, really setting yourself apart through the things you do, through your behavior, even things that you say. I think goes a long way in, ter- in, in terms of helping people to see, hey, there's something different about this person. Yeah. And then that is a very easy way to kind of lead into faith conversations that I should have taken <laughs> and an opportunity to, to have. But. but, you know, you were already speaking something by the way you lived your life. Yeah, right? I like, and, I'd like to think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're like, you're not removing yourself from from a specific environment but you choose to be in that environment like in the world right but not of it you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and i think that's that's what we're all called to be as christians and, and you know sometimes I, I feel like there is this tendency to to isolate ourselves or to even isolate the different aspects of our lives sure it's like oh work is work and I'm going to do my thing there. And on Sunday, this is my thing. Yeah. Or it's, well, I'm only going to surround myself with Christian influences or Christian friends. Hmm. But then how are we supposed to be distinct? How are we supposed to be a blessing to all peoples? Church theme. <laughs> how are we going to do that if we don't go out there and sure. uh, engage? Danny, anything to add to that from your experiences? Mm. I was thinking that for me, it had less to do with being an architect. I think we're all called to be do whatever we do, but do it well. Mm-hmm. Do, do it all our heart and working for the Lord, not for human masters. Hmm. So in a way, actually believers make good architects. We, um, if you're really walking with the Lord, I think you are calm. And in, in architecture, a lot of times there's deadlines, there's stresses and things like that. Right. And it gets out of control very quickly. And if they see your your you you march to a different drummer, <laughs> uh, you you're maybe more calm in terms of your personality or 
just the way you do things, you can actually do well in architecture and move up pretty quickly. You know, for me, right now, what's pertinent is we're called to do different things in our season, different seasons of life. Right. And, you know, the past couple of years, as an architect, there were uh, younger men who just approached me and just wanted to, and they're, they're architects and engineers, and they want somebody to mentor them uh, in their work, but also to disciple them. And admittedly, I am a very reluctant mentor. <laughs> I don't want to do this kind of work. But, you know, more and more people have asked. And so I think it's really just a matter of just understanding, discerning what God wants us to do in every season of life. Right. That's awesome that those opportunities come up by the way that you just live your life. That these guys are seeing something that they want to emulate, someone that they want to follow and learn from. And that's awesome. I think that's, you know, you know when we talk about the Great Commission, about going out and making disciples, Yes, sometimes God just calls us to go and meet people where they're at, but sometimes the way we live our life in a certain way with integrity and intentionality, that people see that and ask questions. And those can be opportunities. Yeah. Right? I think they see, like, I've survived 25 years in the profession. <laughs> My hair's starting to get gray. So there's got to be some way to survive this thing, you know? Wait, wait what's the lifespan of an architect normally? Do people, is there a lot of turnover? Do people burn out of it? Some people burn out, but some of the older architects, we work till we drop. Okay. It's almost as if there's no retirement age for architects. I mean, I, yeah, I have met a lot of old, old architects. <laughs> yeah. Even going into full-time ministry, I think I will always maintain some sort of architecture work. Sure. In just mm. the way, what I do. Uh, I just don't see myself retiring. Just kind of keep going until, you know, one day I drop. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to both of you guys on, on an episode of this podcast is because you guys have both been architects, but have been led into full-time ministry. What has that journey been like for you guys? You know, what was it like to discern that, to take a step out of the kind of typical or traditional architectural role and into a ministry? Well, I volunteered at this uh, nonprofit Christian organization called Engineering Ministries International. And so I've been volunteering for 10 years, and it's only now that I'm joining full-time. What I saw is that the church in developing countries, some of them are just growing like gangbusters. Right. And a lot of these you know, churches in North America, I feel like maybe more stagnant. And God's really moving in a lot of these developing countries. And he's really called me to really work in that context. Mm, okay. And so I'll function as an architect, and uh, I'll continue doing that work. I'll lead teams of engineers to um, different parts of the world where the church is really strong, and it's really growing very quickly. It's kind of like the early times in the book of Acts, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm serious, because you see this stuff going on, and... I just want to be part of it, you know? Nice. Um, earlier this year, we were in uh, the country Haiti to do uh, some church expansion, uh, designs of vocational schools, and also an orphanage. And, you know, we're there to support missionaries and their efforts too. But it was clear to me, you know, God really said, I'm not ready for you to give up architecture. And at this point in my life, I felt like at 25 years, I wanted to do something different. But God said, I'm not done with you yet. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to continue being an architect, doing that kind of work, but in a different context. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And so that, that was my understanding of kingdom building. It's not something I'm doing. I'm not erasing buildings I see and redesigning them. I'm actually seeing God's work in different countries. And I've just been invited to be a part of that process. That's awesome. Yeah, I really feel like God could do it all by himself. He doesn't need me to do anything, to be honest with you. But just to be invited to do some of this work, it's just a real you know, privilege. Sure. Were there any reservations for you to leave you know, your firm? or? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like this whole year has been a real struggle between me and God. Mm. Because the calling was there, but I struggled with it. And admittedly, you know, it's not easy. We're not 
always called to do what's the most convenient. And to pick up from where we live, we've been in the in Philadelphia area for about 23 years now. We raised two kids there. My career's there. All my friends are there. Our church home is there. And just to uproot that, that's our community, just to pack that all up and move to the new office, which is in Calgary, Alberta, is a, a challenge. So we, we go through these cycles of being super anxious and then super excited mm-hmm. and then super anxious and then super excited again. <laughs> but really, it's just about being obedient now. It's just kind of just doing the work. Cool. Awesome. Will, what was your journey like? It's interesting you brought up the cycle of super anxious and, and super excited. Um, and, and, I, and I'm recalling that now, particularly as I was thinking about how I, I was going to tell my parents that I was, <laughs> I was not going to be an architect. Actually, I, I waited a long time to even tell them I was a Christian because for some reason I, I, I was worried about what they would think. And I waited until it was right before Chinese New Year. And I said to my mom, Mom, I, I can't participate in any of the things that our family does anymore in terms of, you know, the burning of the incense and all of that. And sure. she goes, she goes, why? And he goes, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm a Christian now. And she goes, okay. I was like, oh, okay. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> um, of course, as I was leading up to telling them about my decision to go into full-time ministry, I actually waited until I, I was accepted to seminary. Everything was set. Esther and I even visited the school, mm-hmm. came back. Um, we, were, we were thinking about where we were going to live and all that. So we were in the process of planning, and I still didn't tell my parents. And it, it was six months before we were scheduled to leave. And I said, I have to tell them. It's six months. Um, it's happening. It's happening. I mean, <laughs> I can't wait until the last minute anymore. So I, I had a conversation with my mom, and I started out with saying, I'm going to quit architecture and go for my master's degree. And that's how I phrased it. I said, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, master's degree. For what? And that's when, well, I'm going to go for a master's degree in this. And I couldn't, I still couldn't explain it. I had to tell her what I would eventually do with the degree. And of course, there was this confused look on her face. And it was, you know, you're not going to be an architect anymore. But you, you worked so hard. You worked so hard through school. And you spent all these years. And I said, yep, I, I, I can't say I will never be again. But at this moment, I, I, I want to do this. Mm. And, and the conversation ended with her with a confused look on her face. And, and then I had a conversation with my dad later that day. And, and same confused look. It was just, you know, I, I don't understand. You're leaving your job. And... His main concern was, how are you going to feed you and Esther? And (laughs) does this mean, you know, you're not going to make any money? Like, what is this? Is this a volunteer position? And there were all these questions, and I tried to answer them as best I could. So definitely a lot of anxiety, right? That whole period, the whole weekend was just anxiety. Two days later, I had another conversation with my mom, and, and she goes, she asked me some more questions, like, where is this school? Like, like what, you know, what, what is this school about? Right, and, yeah. And all of that stuff. What are you going to study there and all of that? Answered all the questions and going back to the, the traditional Chinese thread, her, her, I think this was the most important question for her. What do Esther's parents think? Hmm, okay. And I said, Esther's parents are supporting me 100%. They, they're all for me doing this. I mean, Esther's brother at the time was pastor in texas so okay and and i think because of that it gave her a sense of peace like oh so my son will not dishonor us in front of her parents and if they're okay with it and and i could see her brain kind of working well they're okay (laughs) with it maybe we're okay with it and and then after that she even said um well you know if you need help financially let us know and and at that point it, it shifted from that anxiety to the excitement and, sure. and for me, and along the way, in terms of the decision to go into full-time ministry, there, there were a lot of ways that God kind of affirmed the call, whether it's through people, through circumstances. In terms of my parents' response, for me, that was definitely one of the, the bigger ways that God kind of affirmed this, yeah. this call. Because it could have, it could have gone, all, gone all sorts of wrong. Right, that that whole conversation <laughs> and and their response, but the fact that they didn't quite understand why I was doing it, 
but the fact that in spite of that, they were their attitude was still, well, we're going to support you anyway because you want to do this. I'm sure they they still have reservations, concerns, and even at the time, disappointments. Mm. But at least in terms of their response to me, um, I felt like that was definitely a, a big way that guy was kind of affirming this move into full-time ministry. Sure. The reason I'm kind of telling the story is because I think for a lot of people, and, and several conversations I've had too um, with people, a lot of people, for a lot of people in terms of the move into full-time ministry is, well, what, what will my parents think? Wow, yeah. Right? Especially if we've gone to school, we finished the degree, we, we you know, we, we, we have or are about to start a life in this field. Sure. This profession that's respectable, this profession that will make money and, and you know, and, and all that things. To shift into something where it's like, oh, why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> what do you mean you don't, you're giving up a steady paycheck? What do you mean you're, you're giving up a, a, a stable job and, and all that? So, it, it, yeah, it, it, God really affirmed me in that way. And, and I guess the encouragement for anyone who might be listening, who, who is kind of is at that point where it's like, what will my parents think? Or what if? Or what if? And all of these uncertainties in terms of the anxiety. Allow yourself to be excited. Right, Just yeah. trust that, that God will work. And even going through seminary, it was always this anxiety, excitement, anxiety, excitement, anxiety, excitement. And time and again, God said, I don't know what you're worried about. Here is this thing that you're worried about, and I'm going to take care of it again. Just just trust that I will be there. It's really interesting. I was just listening to you talking, and I feel like I'm not a very traditional Asian parent. So I've got two kids in university, and the younger one is actually very talented as an artist. And at a time when they were trying to pick what to do uh, in, in university, I said to her, why don't you think about becoming a full-time artist? And I think it's very non-traditional Chinese. What is this heresy? Yeah, What's going exactly. on? <laughs> How are you going to make money? <laughs> right, exactly. And she looked at me and said, Dad, I don't want to be a starving artist. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a good child. <laughs> yeah. What a good child. That's like reverse psychology, right? <laughs> I, know. I didn't think about that oh, time, but wow, it worked. Yeah. Wow. That's right. That's amazing. So responsible. That's right. Wow. That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it. Just encourage them to go into it. And then when they rebel, then you'll be like, I got my way all along. No, 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 don't do that. Let's finish this off talking about, you know, what is it like right now to be participating with God bringing his kingdom into this world? And what skills have you brought in from architecture or being an architect that you have been able to use for those purposes at least for me where architecture involves building something that's visible that's tangible Mm. you can see it and you're like well you know there it is i built this i built that this building is is serving people in this way there's kind of a, a a clear way that we can see how this is working how this is functioning being a part of building god's kingdom it it it's not necessarily about focusing on what we can see. Sure. And, and it's not about ministries. It's not about how many people are coming to our church. It's not about how successful things are. It's about whether or not we are building disciples, whether or not we are being Christ's presence in the lives of people, and whether or not we are able to walk alongside other people so that they can do that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I think for me, in terms of that question— and what it means to be a part of building God's kingdom, it's are we growing ourselves? Are we helping other people to grow rather than focusing on how many people we've gotten to this program, how many programs we have, how big our church is, what what facilities are we offering, and, and uh, how many uh, Bible studies do we do, and, and all of that. Are we helping people to be Christ's presence? Sure. In the world and in, in, in the lives of the people who are in their communities and in their lives. And in terms of how an architect has impacted or, or helped a ministry, I think the biggest thing is being an architect, you, you have to work with a lot of difficult people. You have to uh, take a lot of crap <laughs> a lot of the times. So I think in terms of that, it, it's helped me to, to be humble in terms of 
getting criticism or constructive criticism, whatever it may be. Sure, there, there's an emotional component. I can get irritated and angry, but, but it's, it's being able to contain that in a way and behave in a way that's professional. Mm-hmm. And, and related to that, being able to work with difficult people with an eye on the prize, eye on the goal, which is what does God call us to do? I might not like you, or I might have my difficulties with you, but I know that on a basic level, I still have to work with you because God has called us something else. Mm. And being able to to be able to put those things aside and to work with those people. And I think sometimes, at least based on conversations I've had and things I've read, that that aspect of it has catches a lot of people off guard when they go into full-time ministry. Where they think, I'm working in a church, this is going to be great. I'm working with brothers and sisters. And then they're like, oh, I didn't realize it'd be so hard <laughs> working with people. Or I didn't, realize it'd be, I didn't realize a church could have people like this. Okay. But in terms of my time as an architect, yeah, there are people like this. But in spite of that, what has God called us to do? And we might take a lot of time to work out our differences. But in the meantime, God has called us to work together and we should do that. Right, and I think that that's kind of the biggest takeaway I would say from architecture and, and from any secular work environment. You have to work with people you don't like. Sure, going to full time ministry, that, unfortunately, that will happen too. Sure, and and knowing how to to navigate those difficult situations. Yeah, you know? but part of that too is that in ministry. There is also the hope of reconciliation. Oh yeah, there is yeah, also yes, the yes. hope that as God transforms yep. each one of us that we are working towards unity and yep. being able to submit to one another and humble ourselves before each other yes i understand what you're saying but i'm i'm, yeah. I'm like i'm not taking away anything from what you're saying oh no too. And, yeah. and, and, and th- yes you're right there is that hope but that hope might that results of the hope <laughs> might not come as soon as we'd like oh no yeah and in the meantime sure. it's knowing how to Coexist. Sure. At the very least. Sure. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. All right, Danny. Well, I was thinking that uh, God's work is already happening. Mm-hmm. And it's really not anything I'm building. You know, God's building his kingdom. And I'm really starting to witness it happening in developing countries. And that's the context which I'm called to do some work. And really, I'm dig. This past year, I've been digging into Henry Nouwen's work on discernment, and just being able to see, hear, and understand things around me. And you know, I feel like um, it's just like your band's name. I think it's here and not yet. <laughs> here but not yet. Here but not yet. Shout out. Shout yes. out. You like that plug? I see God's work, His kingdom being built here. We don't really have to wait to the end times. Right. Like slowly, like pieces of it you see happening. Yeah. And to me, that's just discernment, just seeing that thing happen. Oh, it's over there. And really, um, when I was doing some work in Africa and Haiti, I said the church is really strong in certain areas and you really see it. Right. Yeah. Some of these missionaries are having a lifelong effect on those communities. And so I feel like it's, like one of those um, little bad sci-fi movies where the timeline's not chronological, right? It's not Chronos time, it's Kairos time, where things happen in and out of different time places. Oh, wow. And so I feel like God is messing with us a little bit, right? <laughs> it's like you don't have to wait till a certain time for, to see what eternity's like, right? It's not just that one end time. There are little bits and pieces creeping in here and there that we see happening, right? So I just, um, you know, want to participate in that practical way. Sure. And especially in developing countries, I found that the two professions that they really want are medical, like doctors, and design professionals, like architects and engineers. They welcome you. And regardless or not, if you're going there to share the gospel, if you're there to do some practical work, they will welcome you. Mm. And what an opportunity too, right? Yeah. And like, you know, for your, like one of the things that I've always been blown away with about EMI is they're seeking out opportunities in which to engage and connect with other countries. Mm. And 
they are seeking redemptive purposes for architecture mm. and engineering. That's so awesome, right? It's not just once again like we were talking about this earlier about a divide of being like, okay, being an architect or engineer has to be just over here and about making money and building up your portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but what about if it is for God's purposes? That'd be amazing, right? Yeah, and one of the things that um, I like about it because it's it's uh, really attracted to my own core values in a way is that. Uh, the organization that I'm joining has a strong push to uh, diversity, meaning it's partnering with local architects and engineers and missionaries overseas. I think the days where uh, it's all just North Americans going to do work right, yeah. and coming back are, are over, right? It's a real partnership now. We're trying to partner with people all over the place. Kingdom and, partnerships. Exactly, yeah. Yes. We can't, nobody's really meant to do this alone. We're partnering with people who could do it better than us. Nice. Awesome. Thank you guys both for joining us on this podcast. It's been great to hear your stories and to see how God has been working in your lives. If you want to connect with Will, you can find him on Instagram at DevoDoodler. Yes, he makes awesome notes about sermons, about what he's going through in his own studies, and he illustrates it in such creative ways. So that's at DevoDoodler. We'll include the link down in the show notes so you can check it out. And if you want to connect with Danny, you can find him on the EMI website. That's emiworld.org. We'll include the link down in the show notes as well. He is the project leader and architect for the EMI Canada. And if you're feeling led to support him, there are links on that website on how to do that. Next time, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be among the least of these? And what does that mean in terms of us understanding God's mission in this world? How does that move us into action? So... Please remember to subscribe. It really helps us to get this podcast and this conversation out there. Please leave us your feedback if you can or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter or by email. It'd be great to hear from you and how you are wrestling with what we've been talking about. It's been great to hear from many of you guys. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. Thanks so much. See you next time.